Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Trike Guterres, CEO at Tier One Entertainment and co-owner of Blacklist International. Trike is a dynamic leader and visionary in the gaming and esports industry. He has been at the forefront of the Philippine esports scene for over a decade. With prior experience as an executive director in Philippine esports and a marketing officer at MSI, He's a seasoned professional with a passion for startups and venture capital. A graduate of De La Salle University focusing on organizational communication, Trike's insights into gaming, entrepreneurship, and innovation are not to be missed. I've asked Trike to join us here today to talk about his journey in gaming, esports, plus his experiences as a founder and venture capitalist. So Trike, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Um, pretty good. Obviously, the whole journey of running a startup is not easy, but yeah, I would love to share more of my experiences and uh, and thoughts today. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate that. And before we get into kind of your experiences, what you're doing now, how did you even get started in business? Is Are your parents entrepreneurs? Do they have their own businesses and companies too? Is this a family thing? No. I can say that my parents are just regular corporate workers in a way, and I was just fortunate to be to have had the opportunity to study in one of the top universities in the Philippines who happen to have people who are like kids of entrepreneurs, right? And because of that, I get to see the power of business and entrepreneurship in terms of obviously like financial income and the way they navigate the way they navigate themselves into the whole landscape of different industries such as F&B, different businesses like I've seen it. Because of that, I was always passionate about business because... I felt like it was one of the best ways to make money. Mm. And second, that money is a tool for you to be able to pursue your dreams and passion. Like working in a corporate environment, I think that's one thing. But if you really want to move mountains, then I really believe that it's very important for someone to build an institution such as a company for for really move the needle in the world. Yeah, I love that. And I agree wholeheartedly on this show. my, My regular audience knows we consider businesses solve problems. My t-shirt, you have a dentist, I'm bored, movie theaters, I'm hungry, restaurant. So a business solves a problem. And when you go to McDonald's, they're not like, sorry, Sally's tired and wanted to take a day off. The drive-thru's closed. The business is built to operate and fulfill a need for the community. And therefore it runs regardless of if there's churn or turnover or whatnot. And like you say, you want to build an institution to solve that problem in the community. And for it to be sustainable, it needs to be able to pay for itself and even invest in the future and developing R&D for new products and new assets and to maintain excellence, right? To constantly improve. And so there's no virtue in being broke. You can't, I heard, I really this from Jordan Peterson. He said, there's no virtue in being a weak man. Being non-dangerous is no, there's no virtue in that if you're not a threat to anybody, but being able to be dangerous yet control it and handle it and use it appropriately. That's where the virtue comes from. And I think it's the same thing like you're talking about, right? If you want to have impact on this world, you're not going to be able to do that. Money is not the root of all evil. It's just a tool. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Chamath is one of my public figures that I follow. And he's the one who said about, he talked about being money as a tool. 
So I think I share that principle for one. And I think second of all, we're living in a capitalism world. Right. So as long as that's the current like meta or that's the current game, yep. then you will need capital to be able to really move a needle in this world. Obviously, I still respect artists and all of right. other type of like careers that isn't purely about money. Right. I think in terms of the game of business, like money is always going to be one of the things you need to deal with. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that it's a battle between equality and freedom and mm-hmm. socialism, capitalism, and this doesn't have to become a political call, but at the core, they're about equality. But if everyone's equal, then no one is free. Whereas freedom is about pursuing excellence and markets are unknown and unknowable. If I asked you how many people are shopping for a car right now, you could find indicators. You could find like Google searches and but you wouldn't really be able to know and it would change all day, every day of the week, right? So markets are unknown and unknowable, but everyone can acknowledge excellence. And that's the danger is that when you have socialism and that's why they fail because it it removes the incentive. Why should you be more like, why should you do more, be more? Why should you try to be excellent if you're a dentist and you're only ever going to earn what all the other dentists earn? And that's a battle that we're in. And now there is crony. Yeah. You will probably take one hour or more if you talk about politics and like yeah, the way yeah. you <laughs> think about things, worldviews and all that. But I think my two cents on this is I just believe in equal opportunities. Mm. I think that is what's fair. But second of all, like people would probably say, but someone who was born in Southeast Asia versus someone who was born in the States versus Europe, China or, or wherever else would not have the same opportunity as what's out there. But at the end of the day, I feel like we just deal with what we're given. And and I think that's what it is about. Whether the opportunity was given to you in a silver platter or like in, in, in with no platter at all. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, we all have an equal amount of time per day. Like we all have 24 yeah. hours in a day. And to me, what really matters is what do you do with that? And yeah. I think in line with that thought, that's the reason why I really thought of tier one. Because I felt like opportunities in gaming close to don't exist in the space that we were in before. And that's the main thesis of why we built the company. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Because you've been in the industry for a long time. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career in esports? I think the most the most difficult thing about esports and gaming in particular, when I was starting out, was really perception. Obviously, when esports wasn't this big, People were looking at video games as something addictive. That's something that's negative. Uh-huh. That career and gaming are two words that are both that that don't go well with each other. Like it's either you pursue your career or you game. Like it's always been affiliated to a waste of time, right? So I think that was the most difficult thing. And I think second of all, like being able to find the revenue to support what you want to do. It's definitely a challenging thing also for not just entrepreneurs, but for people who are in the space. Because like years ago, like 12 years ago, just being full-time in gaming was close to impossible. Like it always needed a day job for you to do it. Yeah. I guess those are two of the biggest challenges for me. Yeah, I think that's... So how has that changed? How have you been overcoming those? I think on the first challenge of the perception, it's getting better, but it's not there yet, obviously. Because the story will only hold up until the opportunities hold. You know what I mean? Like today we have gamers who earn multi-million dollars and all of these things. There are job opportunities in esports and gaming and all that, right? But once that or if like 
a world exists that if in the future a world the world changes to lesser opportunities then all of that perception perception changes again you know what i mean so that's why i wake up every day making sure that we continuously grow because we're just one of the many companies who need to be able to stabilize the industry so that the story of gaming being available for a career opportunity should sustain itself yeah i wonder the parallels because esports is it's a sport so it's like other athletic sports but i also feel like it also shares similarities to the music industry early days uh, music was to sell radios and car stereos right and when they called you a sellout it's because you were an artist that had a big following and you were selling outside products beyond the ones that the major labels wanted you to promote and so that's mm -hmm. why you became a sellout. And that was always the model, essentially. Like you build a really big following and you're doing it. And music, you build, you've got some hit songs. You don't keep your best song hidden on the album. You put your best song, you give it away for free. And then wherever you've got the biggest odd following, that's where you do the live shows. And that's where you write, you sell the live tickets and your merch and all that stuff. And then of course, like I said, the merch, the stereos, all that kind of thing. And I feel like esports walks both of those lines to a certain extent, because it's not so much like a basketball game. You can televise a basketball game somewhere else, but the whole video games, the whole concept, it's in a console. It's in like it's built for TV and devices. Like it's not so much the same where you're like you're watching it in a hockey game or something and you can't really see the puck moving because it's it's hard to see on the camera. So I, I don't know. That wasn't a question I had lined up, but I, what are your thoughts on that in terms of the similarities? Uh, with the music industry, definitely there's an overlap between gaming and music in terms of ecosystems. And I think the reason why is at the end of the day, it's entertainment, right? It's the eyeballs, retaining the eyeballs and like tapping into audiences that really resonate to your content and to what you do. And if you look at like the gaming industry as a whole, like I believe it's already a multi-billion dollar industry and it's already part of one's life. If Even if you're not a gamer, usually like at least one from your family is. So in a way, like there is always a presence of gaming in your life on a personal level. And that's why industries have been built around it, right? You have your game right. development, you have esports, you have media that revolves around gaming and esports. So I think that's always going to exist going forward. However, in comparison to sports, there's a lot of similarities in terms of like audience behavior, like having that certain feeling of you're all watching a certain moment at the same mm -hmm. time. Because that's what that's that's what's really captivating about sports, right? If you see Steph Curry win a game winner, you have a you like all of the people who are watching that or who have watched that shares a collective experience and it mm -hmm. makes them one or it makes them relate, it makes people relatable to that moment like it, it, that moment is yep. relatable to everyone it makes them connect in a different way and right. I think that's the same way with esports but the challenge with esports compared to sports is that one um, games are owned by companies like in, in sports leagues are owned by companies but the game itself doesn't have an owner and I think that freedom of being able to utilize that game without licensing rights, IP rights, difficulty in connectivity, difficulty in the resources and infrastructure that's, that's available in the game, like all of these things like come into play in terms of um, a barrier to entry mm. in setting up businesses around it. And I think the second of all is it's the lifespan of a game. I think we haven't seen a game that has passed a 20, 30, 50 year mark. Compared to sports, where like basketball has been there for a long time yeah. already. 
It's not right? So, so I guess on a very like outside looking and thinking, I'm in esports and I believe in the space, but outside looking in, the question is, how will the compartments of the industry adjust to the lifespan of a game? They just move from game A to game B. Imagine if the LA Lakers ownership who has been building basketball teams for... Right. And they've got all their, like their feeder camps, right? Like they're, yeah, they're training up talent for the future, right? And then one day, basketball doesn't exist anymore because nobody's playing it and everybody's not playing hockey. Like, how do you translate from that to that, right? That's what esports is. There's this game, we set up a team around it, infrastructure, and then boom, have to, we have to move to the next game, to the next game. And sometimes it's not that the skill sets are not transferable. Sometimes the infrastructure is not that transferable. So those are, I think, the challenges that esports will have to face in once it gets to decades. We talk about that. It made me wonder, is there a way to boil it down to base principles? I don't know if this is a direction to take the interview in, but I, I was thinking about CrossFit in the terms of part of what made CrossFit so popular is that you should be ready for everything, whether mm-hmm. you got to swim 10 kilometers or whether you got to bike or whether you got to do a max weight back squat, and then they take your score across all these things, and that's how they rate someone. So here you talk about, now you got to play this game, they got to play that game. In my mind, I was wondering, like, I wonder if there's, like, some core measurable, yeah, core skills, and that way it would be a span of five different games, like the winner of them all. Like, I... I'm spitballing here. This isn't something I thought about before. I think, the call, but... I think there's an angle to to that thought process when it comes to shooting games. Mm. Just because the basic foundation of a shooting game is at the end of the day, your aim. But that's just a small portion of the full success of a shooter team because comes with it our strategy, like other mechanics come into play in the different shooter games because there are some shooter games that have skills of, uh, I mean, it's hard to explain. But point being, like there are some games that don't just require aim. Because right. there are other skills that you need to acquire outside of aim. But, right. but I think that's the most applicable space where there is a measurable skill set that can be transferable. But right. if we're talking about strat- strategy games or like other games that require specific learnings of that certain game, then it is partly transferable, but not too much. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's more of a foreshadowing thing. I think down the line... Maybe that's why I should ask now. Usually I ask that later on, but where do you see things going? Because that's where I was thinking of. I'm like, I wonder if this is going to evolve into something like that. And again, I'm, I'm clearly, I did cross, I guess you could say I still do CrossFit. Um, they've got like the 10 pillars of fitness. And so they've got 10 different things. And that's where for some people, they, they're they really strong in some areas, but then they've got these big gaps. So I, I don't know. Where do you think things are going to be? Now we have AI. We've got AI bots in games. We have people that are using AI to try to build up characters and certain things. That Where do you see some of this going in five, 10 years? And I think this is where venture capital has come into play, right? Because I think for the most part, the VC platform, I personally think, is such an innovative financial model just because you don't have... For your, you don't have to fully wait for your revenues to come in for you to capitalize on your next innovation or your next expansion, right? And I think that's the beauty of the VC platform, like being able to sell your equity to get the capital you need for you to set up your success into what the future can be is, I think, a very integral part of startups like us mm-hmm. and at the same time for industries like us. And why am I talking about this, right? Because 
if you look at esports and for example the creator economy right you are already seeing a lot of money coming into the creator economy because in our business we're 10% esports 90% mostly creator economy under gaming right and if you've seen the amount of money that was raised around the creator economy like it's a lot and i think it synergizes with the growth of the industry because everyone is looking at the future of what it can be but for things to be built there needs to be money right money and if the money isn't there yet for the startup or for a series a company or a series or a seed round company then how would they be able to build for the future because you'll have to wait for your revenues and that's the only time you can build it i think that's I think at the core of it, that's the reason why the VC platform is such an important space. And on the second of it all, and I think my answer to your question is, in terms of like, where is it going? I think it's going full speed. It's going <laughs> to go full speed. Like the same way social media has decentralized attention. A lot of people like adjusted from TV to social media um, in a very difficult manner. Like, even if you look at sports in general, right? Like, at one point, people were thinking with the death of TV, with a lack of media rights buying, how can people or institutions adapt to this new model? Mm. And eventually, the NBA and the other sports were now able to utilize the digital distribution platforms that are available today and at the same time the media stations who have adapted to the digital distributions of today have adapted as well and have been have been adaptive of how they can change the revenues from today to before in happening it's, it's a transition but it's changing another example is the labels right before they're doing mostly cd distribution like you sell cds that was the physical items that you need to that you needed to sell before it was cassette tapes eventually it became cds it became mds but now it's Spotify, it's royalties from all of these distribution platforms. Some local labels have created their own local distribution platform. And that's where like localization in a way helped some of the labels because of the difficulty of localization in different markets. But what I'm saying is simple, right? Whenever an innovation comes in, there's always a creative distraction, meaning a new innovation comes in. It will disrupt everything that exists. That's what happened to taxis with Grab. That's what happened right. to social media with TV. Right. And I think with gaming, the most exciting and scariest things that are happening for gaming are two. Web3 and AI. Mm. Because with Web2 games of zero digital ownership, the problem is you don't fully really own what you have digitally. Right. Mm -hmm. Once a game leaves, your IP is close to nothing. Web gives us at least full digital owners. Assets. Right. But it hasn't been fully utilized. It hasn't been fully translated into what Web2 game is like today. But I believe that tool can really open an innovate in an innovative way for game developers to to utilize it and apply to their games right. of the future. But the second is AI, right? I think AI, as much as it is one of the most innovative tools that that exists today and has been developing quick with all the NVIDIA stocks going up, all of these things, I believe from the top, with the NVIDIA stocks going down to video game capitalist, uh, video game development capitalization, because it will happen, right? If the hardware uh, at the top has money, 
Then it right. has to be distributed, distributed to the software developers so right. that the software will be able to follow the hardware. And then eventually those will create multiple companies that are now geared towards AI. And right. it, that's when the realization of that will probably be two to three years from now. But imagine if we can jump from someone being able to create a photo in, Adobe, in, a, in Photoshop for one hour or two to a five-second AI-generated yeah. like, creative material. With five different mock-ups at the same time. Imagine the amount of speed that that tool changes for the gaming industry will really accelerate so much. Imagine like it's the same as social media before, right? If you're feeling something, for you to be able to broadcast it to the global space, you would have to do local news, then local news translate to world news. But right. now like one tweet is accessible to the world, right? So I think the same way the access to attention was changed with social media, I think AI and Web3 are really going to shake the whole gaming space in the next two to three years. Yeah, that's interesting. Normally when people bring up AI, I like to talk about Blockbuster versus Netflix and the idea of, like I said before, pursuing excellence and knowing what problem you solve. Because Blockbuster used to be a $6 billion company, right? They could have hired any talent that they wanted. They could have paid to develop any tech that they wanted. They had all the resources that internationally that you could want. And they got wiped out and ran into bankruptcy by a little startup called Netflix. And that's because they really lost sight of the market and what the problem was that they were solving. They were so focused on their cap sheets and their or their cap tables and their, their profit loss and balance and their, their quarterly numbers that they became disconnected to the problem that they were solving for the market. And so Netflix came in and if you've had a long day cutting hair, if you've been serving, waiting, serving tables, if you're a contractor, been on your feet all day wearing steel-toed boots or something, you don't want to, you want to go home and relax. You don't want to go drive to a different location, go stand and stare at a wall with 50 options, have paralysis by analysis, pick one, take it home and then get billed extra because you're so busy. You didn't have time to go back and drop it off. That was, they was, it was disconnected. Whereas Netflix was like movies, like pizza delivery for movies. We send you a catalog, you call us up, tell us when you want, we deliver it. And then we pick it up when it's due. Like it's that simple. And then that, and obviously then they innovated with digital. But the key was that they focused on the problem they solved. You brought up the music industry changed. I think it's the same with newspapers. Like newspaper subscriptions used to be rivers of gold. And then blogs came out and newspapers were just decimated. It was, they were just dying left and center. And it's the same thing. I feel like they lost connection with what the end, the problem was that they were solving. Why people paid for a newspaper subscription, right? And so they thought they were delivering wads of advertising and trying to shape public opinion on stuff. And even look at what's happening now with mainstream media after the last three years, a lot of people have abandoned it. And there's all sorts of new media channels popping up because they're not, the mainstream media, media is like abusing that's, hey, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here for you to try to manipulate me. I'm here because I'm trying to be informed and get the facts, right? And, and so, anyway, it's just we talk about the future. I Typically, would someone ask about AI, I would say, I, I don't think, I think we're still a long ways away from AI really replacing us entirely. And it's more like when calculators came out, you had bookkeepers and accountants, and they used to have to do the math. And then you have calculators come out, and now they can do it so much faster. And so the productive ones become more productive. And the less, least productive ones lose their excuses for why it's taking them a day to tell you two plus two equals four. And so it's just kind of, I see like that. It's, it is disruptive entirely. And I hope that it's for the better. I'm optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic.
But I think, I think it will yeah. always be for the better. Like what I said, like one of my favorite books that I read in my life is called Why Nations Fail. Mm. Because obviously living in a in an emerging market like Southeast Asia, right? Yeah. And these are things that I wanted to understand. Um, mm. Just because if you're not living in a space that is a first world country, then you are limited to a lot of things, right? So for me, like those limitations are things you need to be aware of. Mm. And that's why mm. I read that book. And I think that's where I read about the creative destruction like concept. Because the, sorry to spoil you guys, but the main lesson on that book for me is the nation that usually succeeds is the nation that allows for creative destruction to thrive. Mm -hmm. Meaning, sometimes it's the religion, sometimes it's the government, sometimes it's the culture, sometimes it's the private institutions that stop innovation from happening because the current status is in their favor. Right. But at the end of the day, no institution can ever stop innovation. Because right. it's like a you know that's just going to erupt, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Even if like the biggest of the biggest institution has the most capital, want to stop innovation, they can only stop it at a limited time, I and that's that. why like that's why Nokia eventually was yeah was yep. beaten by Apple, Kodak. We can go on and on with the number one brands that didn't innovate right when they needed to, and I think yeah. it's just for this world. I love that because I agree. It's like nobody argued about indoor plumbing. <laughs> no, no one was like, I don't want a flushable toilet. I want the bu- I want the bucket with flies. There was no debate about whether toilets were a good idea or bad. Everybody thought they were effing fantastic. They were like, this is great. I push a button and it disappears. Let's do it. There was no debate. And so I love that you kept like the creative disruption, the innovation. There's a, another guy who wrote a book called The Beginning of Infinities, The Godfather of Quantum Computing, David Deutsch. And in it, he talks about static versus dynamic societies. And static societies are they're trying to preserve tradition. And a lot of that tradition is because some rules are written in blood. So we need to respect those rules. But not all of them are. And so static societies, though, maybe out of fear or whatever, they try to keep things the way they are. But humans, we are problem. We are knowledge creation machines. And every time we solve a problem, we have a new problem. And if and nobody just wants to have the same problem. It's like having a rock in your shoe. At some point, it just the frustration builds and builds. So it almost speaks to what you're saying. You can't stop innovation. At some point, people are going to want to improve on that. Women used to have eight babies because six of them would die. That's who wants to live with that? Like I, I held more of my kids dead in my arm than I had lived to eight. We had to fix that. I don't want to hang out here with that. And even lifespans. It wasn't until the early 1900s that we managed to, apparently Noah lived to be 300 and the Sumerian kings apparently lived for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. But as far as we know, since the great, was it the younger Dryas, the giant, the big flood, the younger Dryas, since then humans have lived, had very short lifespans. And it wasn't until the early 1900s, we were actually able to expand it to almost 100 years, which, I mean, if I was born in 1897, I would, this would, I would, I'm 40 right now. I would be like dead. I would be like old age. I'd be like your 95 year old grandma right now. People want to keep innovating. And I think that's a really powerful message. Yeah, you, I, I think that's really true. That's really true. What would you recommend to someone who's starting out or struggling with their business, whether it's in esports or they're just trying to gain market acceptance and traction? I think, so going back to my journey, right? Like I started out working for for a computer cafe company, right? Mm-hmm. So because computer cafes were the ones who were funding esports back then, just because 
there was a clear connection to the audience. Yeah. Meaning, if we had more gamers, people would consume and pay for hours in computer cafes. Then the computer cafes would be able to fund the leagues and the yeah. teams and all that. Then yeah, it made yeah. sense. So like that is where uh, I started. But one of the thought process that I had even back then was I don't, I, I didn't really agree to the model because I think it's a good starting point. But I don't think it was really the model of sports, right? If you look at sports, mm -hmm. like computer cafes don't exist and yet you have the NBA and you have all of these companies that are there. So I've always be believed that there has to be a media kind of entity that supports that space and not physical spaces like brick and mortar like that revenue stream and then into digital. Like I just, I felt like that was off to me. So that's why I went to MSI Philippines to try to understand how sponsors thought about things, right? Like with esports and stuff. What's the psyche and the thinking of why do you sponsor something, right? And I, it was a very calculated decision for me to have transferred from that computer cafe company called Mineski to MSI Philippines just because it was a roadmap towards me trying to understand how will you make esports sustainable? How will you make gaming sustainable? In line with what you're saying, just to continue my story, after learning everything in MSI for a year, I then eventually joined an events company to make event a vehicle for sponsors because that's what I knew back then. Because from my understanding of advertising way back, you needed an asset to be sponsored and then that asset will have to earn from the sponsorship and then that sustains it. So we uh, so event was one platform, but I also realized that I needed media, something that's more stable, something that's more consistent. So I partnered with an online newspaper in the Philippines called Inquire.net and built esports.inquire.net, which today still exists hmm. because that allows, that gives me a consistent asset 24 hours yeah. for the whole year. And it gives me a big asset for every event that I do. But eventually it capped because obviously like the advertising money was not there for the media yet in 2014. So events, it got the advertising money, but how much more events can you do in a year? Actually, right, right. if you're in an arena caliber with 18,000 people, how many of that can you do? So that's when I thought about taking a step back and back to that thought process of I needed a 365, 24-hour product, which eventually was Influencer, right? Because Influencers is a 24-7 product and Alodia was a good friend of mine and my co-founder, right? The thought process became, how do we solve gaming influencers' problems of not being able to do it steadily right. so that they can turn into an asset and eventually that becomes a platform for advertising that can sustain the company that you create and supports other types of assets that you will create after. So I guess the lesson to everyone who is starting out is there needs to be a long-term thinking about how do you create a roadmap for yourself so that you get a step-by-step learning on how to become better as a person and how to understand things better and how you can equip yourself with the right skills and knowledge for you to get to where you want to get to. Because mm -hmm. I felt like if I didn't go through 
my experience working with a cafe, not going through the experience of understanding how sponsors think, doing events, like I wouldn't be in, in the headspace that I'm in today. I guess my advice is pick the right opportunity that's in front of you that will help you grow, not financially, but learning-wise, not right, wise. Right. I think that's really powerful. I think that's really powerful because skills compound. And I say this, yes. talk to my cousins a lot. So there's a couple of things I want to add to that. So one is the income earning ladder. And so the income earning ladder, the way it works is the, at the bottom are generalists and generalists earn whatever a generalist can earn. A dentist earns what any most average dentist, dentist earns. And then you have specialists and specialists earn more than generalists because they can do specialty work and there's a higher confidence in successful outcome. What I mean is that your dentist might be able to figure out how to do orthodontic work, but they're not an orthodontist. And do you want to be the guinea pig? No. So you pay more money to have a specialist who prepared before you got there that they can do it with a higher degree of successful outcome. So specialists earn more than generalists. And the people who earn more than specialists are the trainers of specialists. And the reason why they earn more is one, they train specialists, which is an income earning opportunity, but also because as the trainer, I may not get the best in the industry, but I certainly shouldn't get the worst. I should get middle of the pack. So I'm paying for, again, certainty and confidence of outcome. And then people who earn the most are the celebrities because of supply and demand, right? If you are auction off your time or your hours or scarcity, a limited quantity of something. So that's one part. But then the other part is compounded skills. And like you said, following your passion and interest, because if a university can produce you, then they can produce a hundred people like you, a thousand people like you. There's no real moat protecting your job security at that point. People are worried about AI replacing their jobs and robotics. So if a university can train you for your degree, there's no protection from the next grad class that's coming right after you. So what you need to do is you need to pursue your passions to develop skills because those will be unique to you and the way that they combine will be unique combinations that basically give you superpowers and compound over time. Exactly like you were saying, gotta get, I always say roof and ramen, like you got to have your roof over your head and some hot noodles so you don't starve. But beyond that, you really should try to pursue your passions and try to pursue excellence at what you're doing because that's- And it's also, I think the importance of understanding what do you want to do, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I think growth- I always say this to most of my people. Everybody has a potential. Right. Like even anyone, like literally if you're anyone in the world, what age, what status, like everybody has potential. Right. But realizing that potential requires so much things, right? Yeah. And you, we all have like finite time, like in the book, 10,000 hours, right? Like you need 10,000 hours for you to be able to be an expert that's in something. So I think this is where having a focus is very important because without having that focus, then those skill sets that you might be learning will not compound. Because yeah. I believe that. I don't think every skill set will compound. There are some skill sets where you really, the only thing you might have learned in it is the learning aspect of a skill, like knowing how to learn a skill. But there is some skill sets that are done. Like right. it's not useful to you anymore at all. Like it right. happens. Right? I learned how to wipe my butt. That's <laughs> all that, that, that's not, I don't know why I keep going back to toilet examples, but <laughs> it's just damn. But yeah. Yeah, but, but what I mean, so that yeah. so what, what I'm saying is because time is finite and that's why focus is important, because you have to be able to spend mm. your time in things that are aligned towards your goal. And yeah. that goal is only answerable by yourself. Because nobody can dictate a goal 
to you, like even if it's your parents, if it's your boss, like if you want to quit that job, then that direction will change. If you happen to something else, then that direction will change. So I think to, to those who are listening, like you need to be, you need to have the time to figure out what you really want. I love that. I love that. I want to say that again. I'm such a big, so I'm, yeah, when you said time is finite and that's why focus is so important. That's now going in my daily reads. I've got a daily <laughs> read. Doc. I do. I got, I'm going to read two of them. I have a daily read doc and that is being added because I love it. So the first one is every morning in Africa, when the sun comes up, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, when the sun comes up, a lion wakes up and it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. The moral mm. of the story is it doesn't matter if you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. Now that's so long-winded. And the next one's, I don't even know if I want to read the next one because it's much more long-winded, but just time is finite. That's why focus is important. That's just so succinct. I really think people need to drill that home. If they organize their day in 10-minute seg blocks and you tried to, and you just, all right, I planned my day. And then you measured how your day actually went compared to your plan. And you just kept doing that for a couple of weeks. I think people would change their lives. Like I just, I think that's probably one of the biggest ways that people squander their lives is they just piss away their time. And then they wake up and they're 60 years old and they're like, oh, I didn't think I'd get this old this fast. You yeah, know? because it's crazy, right? Like, I always talk about this. Like, every opportunity is different for someone from our geography, from someone from this certain family and this certain person or whatever. Like, we are, we can only deal with the cards that we're given. I always talk about right. that, right? Like, right. at the end of the day, like, if there's one person who tells me that this certain guy has 28 hours in his life, that's the only time I'll say that's unfair. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if we all have 24 hours in our lives, then the question is, what are you doing with it? What yeah. are you doing with it? Because I've seen people who are so rich with no time. I have seen people who doesn't have money, but who has time. And time, meaning like headspace, should give you better ideas. And once you have those better ideas and you're, you're a poor man, then connect to a rich man who has more money who has no ideas, right? Yeah. And that's why industrial partnership has existed when it comes to business. Right. So I think all of, at the end of it all, like I feel like there is a fairness to the world that people don't see, you know? Because I, I see it a lot. Like a lot of people with so much capital don't know how to spend it. A lot of people have so much ideas don't know don't have the capital. But we are gifted with the power of communication for them to work together. So why not use that and utilize that? So well said. So what do you feel are the habits that have helped you and served you best as well as some of your most successful athletes and even just sponsors and clients that you work with? Are there any habits that you think? I think the number one habit for me, and I think everybody needs to really hear this is, there is no excuse in not learning about communication. Mm. As an organizational communication graduate, I think that's really one of the most important things I learned as a person just because no big goal can ever be achieved by a single person. And mm. the only way for you to be able to connect people together is through communication. So mm. the more languages you speak, the more you are artic articulate with a certain language, it technically unlocks your potential to be able to do bigger things because the more people you can connect together, the bigger the dream you can make. So that's why for me, like at a young age or at whatever stage of your life you're in, 
there needs to always be an improvement on how you improve your way of communication. Whether mm-hmm. it's verbal, it's chatting, it's email, any medium for that matter, like that is the most important thing for me. Because mm-hmm. no man is truly an island and no single person will ever do something super big if it's if it's without communication. And I what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make when communicating? I think the biggest mistake is, the first biggest trap is they fall in love with themselves. <laughs> like a lot of people talk about the things that are interesting to them and that are and sometimes that is themselves. But not a lot of people is interested about what you <laughs> like and what you are, right? Sometimes listening is a big part of communicating, right? Like for you, for people to stay interested in a conversation, sometimes you just have to listen and not talk. Mm, mm, mm. I think that's the biggest mistake at times. That's when people lose interest with people. I think that's one. That second, I think, is is really not picking the right words. Like, every word is can be replaceable, right? But the right word with the right tone, it just, it. and sometimes I think some people are overcomplicating things. Like, a lot of people want to throw the most highfalutin term to sound smart, right? But to me, like, the best way to communicate <laughs> is to make it simple, man. As long as it's understandable, even if the grammar isn't correct, communication is about putting a message across. Mm-hmm. It's not sounding big or sounding, like, too uh, intellectual for you to really convey a message. At the end of the day, convey the message, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the second habit that I want to really drill down is really being able to follow through with your ideas because there are a lot of dreamers in the world but there there are a very few implementers oh i have no respect for people who talk about i thought of that i thought of that first you know yeah. what i mean because yeah. i thought of that first and i did something anytime yeah. do it make it create yeah. it invent it right I have so much more respect for people who do than for people who think. Uh, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Grit, perseverance. I love that kind of stuff. You're speaking my language. Hard work will always beat talent when talent refuses to work hard. Hard work is the buy-in. That's the buy-in. If hard work were enough, more people would be successful. You've got to think smart and then you have to follow through. And everybody goes through challenges. So I agree with that a thousandfold. And I can connect it back to what I said, right? You have a great idea. You're not capable of implementing the idea. If you had a power to communicate to people, then you can convince someone who is an implementer to do your idea. And that's still to your credit because you were resourceful enough to find people who can do it for you. Sometimes it's not about you doing everything. It's just identifying what you need for your idea to get it to happen. Yep. Because we have a, a thousand ideas e- every day, but that doesn't count. Like all of the theoretical stuff, it will never count up until it's true, yep. up until it's in front of you. So that's why I have so much respect for operators and implementers. Powerful. Trek, I know our time is almost up and I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you about? I don't know. I guess all something that I would want to say is that I am probably not the most polished and seasoned and experienced entrepreneur out there, right? Because at the end of the day, like despite the success of Tier 1 Entertainment, 
the gaming and esports space is very is a very young industry. Mm. And that's why I feel like my expertise in, in this space is what allowed me to be a CEO. So if I will compare my business knowledge and all of the other things that a CEO needs, I might not be there. But the reason why I am here is because of my expertise in the industry that I'm uh, that I'm in, right? I, I guess what I'm saying is, and that's why you really need to focus, right? Because I never really dreamt of being CEO. It just so happened that all the roadmap that I followed led me to where I am today. And even today, I still need to learn every day to catch up to, to all the innovations that are happening around me, to all the movements that are happening around me. So learning will never stop. So I'm still in the process of trying to be better as a CEO as well. And uh, yeah, I just don't want to have an expert or the best CEO out there because I'm still learning. Like, I think the level of operations that we're doing in tier one with multinational operations, with multi-million dollars in VC investments, it's not easy. It's not easy, right? So I will always embrace all the learnings and all the mentorship that I've that I can get like around me. So I guess what I'm saying is that whoever you are who is listening, just get what you can get from what I'm saying. And always bear in mind that learning is the most important thing in life because stable things don't become stable. Innovations mm. always push for change. And the only thing stable is your time and how can you use it to be able to learn, utilize that time. Yeah, so well said. Greg, if people want to learn more, if they want to check you out or if they want to know more about Tier 1, where are the best places for them to go? So I guess if this was a spiel to be able to promote what we're doing. Basically, when Tier 1 was founded, it was really geared towards creating opportunities for gamers like us because the problem that we were trying to solve was if you're a gamer, you want to be a professional player or a streamer or someone who just wants to edit photos or videos or whatnot in gaming, where would you go? You will always be limited because you wouldn't be able to sign with a music label, not sign with a TV station, right. TV you won't be able to sign with other agencies out there. So the thought process was we needed a talent management specifically for this. And People have seen the value of it. People have followed it. There are other companies that were created. And then eventually, we also operated esports teams because that is one opportunity we also wanted to open up because we were already supporting streamers, but eventually we operate. We are now supporting pro players. Then eventually, we created media. We're doing Web3. We're doing a lot of other things. But at the end, at the end of it all, what Tier 1 is doing is really creating an infrastructure for the picks and access to the gold rush of gaming entertainment. Mm -hmm. And 65 years ago or like 45 years ago, when record labels were created, like in the music space, that is what helped institutionalize and really weaponized music as a way to create an, a, a business ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. Like in the future, I think what tier one will really be is what music labels are to gaming. So mm. call it a gaming label, call it a gaming entertainment label, but I think that's where we're going. And looking at the valuations of record labels today, even post-CD era, it's still billions of dollars. And it's our music is 12.9, 16.9 billion in valuation. So I think we're, we will face a lot of challenges, but I think the future will always be bright because gaming is going to be part, not just of the ecosystem, but of our lifestyle going forward. Yeah, I agree. 
So is there a website people should go to or should they follow you on LinkedIn or where? Um, you can stuff? follow me on LinkedIn. My name is Tricocheres. I'm also present in YouTube. That's also Tricocheres. And if they want to check out our company, it's www.tier.one. So tier one is our website. Tier, tier one. So go find him on YouTube or LinkedIn. T-R-Y-K-E-G-U-T-I-E-R-E-Z. <laughs> or go check out the website at tier.one, T-I-E-R dot O-N-E. Trike, thank you so much for this. Thank it's you so much. An honor and a pleasure. I know you've got your own following, your staff, so much on your schedule. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and my followers so we can all do a little bit better. And it's so much fun, man. Yeah, I think the amount of knowledge and things you consume or some of the things I consume as well, like on a weekend, like what you watch probably about history and all of these like scientific stuff is what I also digest. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you, bro.